As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Going to do the Thursday show a little bit differently this week. The Athletics' Rhiannon Walker is going to be joining us a little bit later to talk about Washington football team's decision to bench Dwayne Haskins. But before we talk to Rhiannon, Lindsey Jones is here to do our normal Thursday breakdowns. Lindsey, how are you? Um, I'm, I'm good. It's unfortunately becoming our Thursday COVID show, but here's where we are in the NFL, where COVID is the dominating storyline of not just this week, but apparently every week. You know what? They did us a service this week by having all the news come out on Wednesday instead of Tuesday. So at least the timing worked out where people are going to be getting this in a fairly quick manner. So where do you want to start? I mean, obviously, the news is just never ending. It, it, this, this morning I woke up, it's Stefan Gilmore tested positive for COVID. And then it was the Titans players had another positive test. And then it was the Titans players were working out together last week. It just feels like you're getting bludgeoned over the head every single, like every 15 minutes or so by something else. So what do you think is the most important bit of news that came out today if we're trying to sift through all of this? Yeah, I mean, there's there there's two, right? There's two big elements and you already addressed them. And they're they're separate, right? It's what's going on with the Patriots right now and that it's Stefan Gilmore, the reigning defensive player of the year, their their best defensive player, maybe their best player on their team um, is now on the COVID-19 list along with Cam Newton, who is arguably the other most important and best player on their team. And Gilmore's positive test, this was from the test that he took Tuesday morning after playing Monday night. He was on the list of players who or, or people, not just players, but of people who were determined to be close contacts of Cam Newton when Cam Newton first tested positive. Um, so this was the risk that the NFL was taking by playing that game on Monday night, by allowing the Patriots to fly to Foxborough or fly from Foxborough to Kansas City, even though they did it on two separate planes. They put the close contacts on one plane, everybody else on another plane. They all tested negative before this game, but less than 24 hours after playing a game where, you know, Stefan Gilmore played every single defensive snap for the Patriots on Monday night. And you know, he's done Patrick Mahomes. Face mask to face mask with Patrick Mahomes at the end of the game, as we've seen a million times now, if you've been on Twitter throughout the day on Wednesday. Um, and now he tested positive. So 
it's not quite the worst case scenario for the NFL. I mean, that would be if all of a sudden a bunch of Chiefs players were testing positive. But this was the gamble that they made was that just because there were players who tested negative um, on Sunday and then on Monday they did pregame testing. Just because those tests came back negative didn't mean that there weren't infected players that were playing that day. So coming out of it on the other side from that game and having guys test negative, it had to terrify them. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's only one guy right now. But if there's anything that we learned from this last week, from what we saw in the Titans and at the White House, is that it's never isolated to just one test or one positive test. And or it's not never, but the chances are that they've They've isolated this to just Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore. That's a really, really big question. So now all of a sudden, you know, Sunday's game between the Patriots and the Broncos, that's in a little bit in doubt. I've been told that they're trying is very, very hard that they're going to play that game. The Broncos are certainly preparing like they're going to be traveling to New England this weekend and playing that game. But now that's a game that's in doubt. So that's one big piece of news, right? But it's not the only big piece of news. The rest of it is that this Titans outbreak is not over and it is continuing. They thought they were going to get back in their building on Wednesday, but instead what happened was that they had um, new positive tests. Um, Corey Davis is the latest Tennessee Titan to go onto the COVID-19 list. And that came about the same time that Paul Kuharski, who's covered the Titans for a really long time there in Nashville, uh, reported that the Titans had held players only workouts. I believe it was on October 1st. So this was after the facility had been shut down for a couple of days when they still thought there was a chance they might have to play against the Steelers, but they'd been told don't get together. You you guys aren't, you're supposed to be isolating yourselves. And a group of 15 Titans got together to work out at a local high school. And that's, that's a really big issue because there's, it's one thing to say, you know, we're not going to point fingers about how this got into the building. We're not going to play the blame game. You know, what what protocols were violated on the front end? This is a violation of all of the norms, right? About what you're supposed to do when you're exposed to somebody as COVID is to isolate yourself. And the Titans not only didn't isolate themselves, they gathered together in a pretty risky situation. So really big questions now about the Titans Bills game coming up for Sunday that would there's no easy answers for postponing that, you know, postponing that to Monday night I don't think is going to be an option because the Bills have a Thursday night game in week 6. So huge questions about the league's protocols, about week 5 games, now we're questioning week 6 games, what sort of punishments could happen. This has just been a really, really bad week, unfortunately, for the NFL. And it might get worse when we wake up Thursday morning, unfortunately. How far does this go with the Titans? What, what what does the league do to kind of make an example of them? Is there a chance they have to forfeit this game because of what's going on? Well, they they were trying not to put that on the table on uh, on Wednesday. You know, the, that was kind of the word that was coming out of the league office is that they they didn't want to slap down the forfeit right away. And this is something, you know, this violation, this player's workout. This was last week. This was before Roger Goodell's memo that he sent on Monday that included the forfeit word. That's the first time that we've seen anybody from the league, especially Roger Goodell, put forfeiting on the table was on Monday in his really strongly worded memo that he sent out to clubs. So could you retroactively make a team forfeit a game for something that wasn't explicitly prohibited when they did it? Probably not. But if this becomes an issue of, you know, fairness and we're talking about, you know, who's to blame and how many dominoes are going to fall here and the other teams that are going to be affected, 
it's something that is that that should at least be on the table because because what, what happens if they make- can't play if they can't play then everything starts to fall apart because now the schedule just yep. becomes a complete mess yeah absolutely there's no you know there's no other bye week situation that they can use the titans have already used their you know their one time bye week uh break in case of emergency type of uh, scenario here. They don't have that anymore. And, you know, they do still have the January options available where if they can't play this game and they can't, you know, they can't postpone it because like we said, the Bills have a Thursday night game against the Chiefs the next week. You know, do you say, okay, fine, we'll move this game to January. Do we move, you know, we make this a week 18 game and maybe that's what they have to do. Um, you know, the, the forfeiting questions at this point raise a lot of other issues, right? Because if, if they were to forfeit against the bills, wouldn't the Steelers have a case that they, sh- that that game should have been a forfeit as well. I mean, there's a there lot are several of- Pandora's boxes that you yes. can open here. I mean, the precedents that may have to be set are dangerous and the slopes are very slippery. But I will say that the tone about the Titans and how people around the league are feeling about the Titans is significantly different sitting here today, this Wednesday afternoon, heading into Thursday than it was when we were talking about this a week ago when this outbreak was new. I think a week ago, the thought was this could happen to anybody. This virus is out here. We don't know how it's going to get into the building, but it could spread. We're all following our protocols. And now it's become a thing of, okay, they messed up and we got to figure out which ways did they mess up and now they're affecting all of us. And this is not something that's isolated to their one team and it's not going to only affect them, but it's going to affect, you know, a lot of teams. It's already affected the Steelers. It's already affected the Ravens. It's about to affect the Bills. And, you know, it potentially, you know, it luckily didn't affect the Vikings. It very, very well could have affected the Vikings, which then would have affected the Texans and then the, the dominoes that continue to fall. So, there's a lot of people around the league who are really pissed at the Tennessee Titans right now. And, you know, at, at some, and, and that's people in the league office as well. And I do think there are now going to be punishments. A few days ago, I thought they were going to let the Titans, you know, kind of go with a warning as you are now the, the bad example for the rest of the league. You are the Miami Marlins or the St. Louis Cardinals for the NFL. But now that this is growing and that they were, making the wrong decisions even after the outbreak had started. I think the tone has completely shifted and it's it's not going to be great, I think, if you're the Titans. Is there anything else outside of kind of wagging their finger at these teams that they can do? I mean, I've, I saw the news about the mass compliance officers, which just makes me think of the episode of 30 Rock where they make Kenneth the floor emergency marshal <laughs> because no one else wants to do it. It, it. All of this just seems like performative measures to make it seem like they're taking this stuff more seriously when in reality there's nothing they can really do about it until they do something really really extreme as long as this is the setup as long as players are allowed to come and go as they please and there are no bubbles and people are living their lives outside of the facility i don't understand what measures they think they can put in place to have more control over this yeah well it's gonna it's gonna be the big things right it's gonna be forfeiting games it's going to be suspensions. It's going to be substantial fines and not $15,000 fines like what the Raiders players got slapped with. And it is also a little unclear exactly how much the NFL is able to punish individual players. The NFL doesn't have a lot of latitude outside of um, some parts of the CBA where, you know, obviously they're able to punish players for violations of the personal conduct policy. This does not fall under personal conduct policy. So, that's going to be a big fight at some point. And 
you know, the NFLPA would be on the side of representing players and filing grievances on their behalf. But at the same time, they might not be super excited about doing that because it's, you know, it's representing the few bad actors that is really affecting all the players who are doing the right thing. So those are some questions about the individual stuff. You know, we've seen coaches get fined a lot. We're going to see teams get punished. You know, they could lose draft picks, um, uh, franchise-wide type of fines. That doesn't affect players, though. But the thing that's going to affect players is when they start pulling their game checks. And if they have to lose, they lose games, that's going to affect their, you know, their postseason prospects. I think those are the things that will really make players start paying attention. Um, you know, but they have, but you're right. I mean, they put in all the just more strict protocols. You know, they're they're doing video surveillance within every single facility that now has to be available league wide where every team has to hold on to that video for 30 days in case the NFL needs it for their investigations or contact contact tracing purposes. They've already done that in New England. They went back and they looked at the the film from within the Patriots facility in Foxborough and they saw that, you know, Cam Newton was wearing his mask. So that changes if the people who are in contact with him were high risk contacts or low risk contacts. But you know, there's some big. This is this is fucking crazy. It, like, I yes. just can't even I, believe we're going to surveillance video at this yeah. point for some of this stuff. It's just I, I understand well, all. And of they're it. showing get- that surveillance video to the league. Like they had all the coaches were on a conference call with Dr. Alan Sills earlier this week, and they showed the video. I mean, they are making examples. They're showing the data of. You know, here's the teams who have had the the most close contacts. They're pulling that tracking data. I mean, it's like it's crazy, crazy shit that I never thought. You know, as I understand an NFL reporter, it all. I'd have to think about. That's kind of what I'm saying. I completely understand it, and and I don't want to act like I'm being glib here, flippant, or any of the adjectives you could use. This is serious, and I and I want to treat it as such. But I, it is such a bizarre place to be. Hearing you say the sentence. They checked the surveillance video of the Patriots facility and Cam Newton was wearing his mask. It's just <laughs> such a weird place to be. All right. We're going to talk about the actual football this week. Is there anything else, any button you want to put on this that you feel like people should know? I guess by the time they listen to this, it all might have changed, so it might not matter. But is there anything else you want to do as kind of a closing statement here? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the one thing is that, you know, what comes next? At what point are they going to will they press pause? At what point will they consider 32 individual team bubbles? And for right now, what we're hearing from Dr. Sills, from the people out of the league office, is that they think that their protocols are going to work and that they can get through this. I am very skeptical. And I'm not sure if that's the right call. I wrote that Sunday night for Monday that you know they're really at a crossroads here right now where if they're gambling wrong and if these protocols don't hold and if you know, they, there's, there continues to be one positive case turning into two, turning into five. This whole season could collapse. And maybe now is at the point where you do need to press pause. And that's going to be a really hard thing to do. But maybe you do press pause. You start those 32 individual team bubbles. You quarantine everybody. Um, I, I just feel like they're at this point now that if they don't do something drastic, there's only so many times, right, that you can tell guys to wear your mask and wash your hands and stop stop eating dinner together. At, at some point, if they want to get through this season, they're going to have to drastically change the way that they're doing things. Oh, man. All right. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some football. 
It's just amazing. It's just, I yeah. But we're but we want to talk about football, right? But this is two weeks in a row now where literally one of the best games in the week we can't even talk about because we don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, we were going to talk about Bills. Uh, who's the team they're playing? The, the Titans. Titans. We were going to talk about Bills Titans. And we're just like, well, why spend 10 minutes on Bills Titans? It's probably not going to happen anyway. It, what a strange time that we're currently in. The game we are going to talk about is the Colts and the Browns. It is the game of the week. I mean, you look at the slate. I mean, the Monday, the, the night games are not that great. The Colts have really been beating some people up defensively. The Browns are on a hot streak here. So I, looking at this game, I'm thinking about the Browns' offense and the Colts' defense is really what sticks out to me. I think you could make an argument that through the first four games of the season, Kevin Stefanski, who is not the offensive coordinator, but you know, calls the plays and whatever, and Matt Eberflus, the defense coordinator for the Colts have done the two best coordinating and play-calling jobs of anybody in the NFL. You could probably throw Matt LaFleur in there too, but he has Aaron Rodgers. Would you say that the job those two guys have done, what the Colts' defense and the Browns' offense have looked like through the first four weeks, are two of the most surprising developments of the first month of the season? Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you consider where both of those units were in week one and where they are now. And the adaptations that they made um, after week one. Because... Look, nobody was talking about the Colts defense being any good after Gardner Minshew kind of sliced them up in week one. I mean, they lost that game week one to the, the the Colts lost that game week one to the Jaguars for a lot of reasons. You know, Phillip Rivers definitely wasn't at his best, but they've gotten significantly better uh, week after week after week. And they're figuring out, um, you know, who DeForest Buckner is, and he's a monster and exactly the ways to use him. But, you know, I remember the our podcast after week one, heading into week two, we were really, really hard on the Browns. I mean, wondering who they were offensively, what were they doing? What was Stefanski's plan for Baker? And now you're, you're hundred percent right in terms of the job that Stefanski is doing and what that offense, they, they just so clearly know who they are now. And I'm just so excited to see a Browns team with a plan for the first time ever. I mean, I can't remember the last time that you just, you knew who the Browns offensive identity was. And it's just been really encouraging to see both of those teams, but especially the Browns and what Stefanski has done in, in leaning into what works and what works, right. Is their running game, their offensive line. They're making things a lot easier on Baker Mayfield. They're figuring out how to let Odell Beckham be a star. You know, they're not asking him to do too much, but what he's doing, he's able to, you know, he's able to excel now. I mean, I've, I like jumped out of my chair during that reverse uh, at, the end, at the end of the I game. Mean, it's but... just a smart way to create space for your, your players. And you've just it, never, funny. when was the last time you called the Browns smart? Like, no, I know. And it's, and that's the nice thing. And I think that never. you're completely right. I think the plan makes a ton of sense and they're executing that plan. The way the line is gelled, the job that Bill Callahan has done, all of that stuff has come together. What jumps out to me about this matchup is just that the Colts are about as far away from the current iteration of the Cowboys as you can possibly be as a defense. The Cowboys have no idea where they're supposed to be. They're not playing hard. They're not playing fast. The Colts are doing all of those things. They are all over the place. I was watching a clip that Matt Bowen from ESPN put up today on Twitter of Julian Blackman, the rookie safety for the Colts, who's playing extremely well. And it was a play-action fake that the Bears ran. Allen Robinson was kind of coming back in behind the linebackers. And Blackman never steps back. His, his eyes are exactly where they should be. His feet are exactly where they should be. And he just plays downhill. 
they're playing extremely disciplined defensively right now, which again is about as different as you can be from the Dallas Cowboys. So this is a totally different challenge for the Browns. And that's why I'm excited to watch it because I feel like it's going to be a really good test for both of these teams to kind of see where they're at and get a more accurate depiction of exactly how good that offense and that defense are a month into the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're going to tackle better than the Cowboys did. Certainly. That's for sure, right? I mean, I mean, I don't I know you guys spent a lot of time um on your Sunday night Monday show talking about the disaster that was the Cowboys defense. But yeah, I mean the and we talked about the Colts with this Colts defense last week about a lot of the stuff that they were doing, the way that they were excelling isn't you can't just you can't just rely on pick sixes and safeties and all that sort of stuff, but they're well coached, they're playing themselves into the right situations. And when you kind of keep having those good performances week after week after week, you believe that that good stuff is going to happen and they're going to be in the right place. And when you're in the right place, those good, those, those pick sixes will come and those forced fumbles will come. And, um, I'm God, a month ago, would we have highlighted this game? No, probably not. Absolutely not. I just wouldn't have thought that the Colts defense would be this interesting, but they've been so good. And again, so well coached. And the players have jumped out, guys that you just didn't expect. I mean, I'm watching. I mean, you know, DeForest Buckner is obviously a good player. They traded a first-round pick for him. But the level he's playing at is not something that I think I anticipated coming into the season. And if you look at the way they've built this team, it's Buckner, Leonard, and now Blackman kind of on the back end is an ascending player. And the way they've built the spine of that defense jumps out. It, it's the strength of what they do. And if Blackman keeps going the way he's going, they might have the best middle of a defense in the NFL. The big question on this week is going to be, does Darius Leonard play? He was questionable with a groin injury. He came out of last week's game. He's going to be a huge part of this game with a team that loves to run the ball, loves play action. So I'll be watching that. The other thing that jumps out, the matchups in the front seven, this is a line nerd's dream, man. I mean, when you consider the players available in the NFL right now, you wouldn't even you couldn't build a better matchup than DeForest Buckner against Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio in the interior of this line. So... For somebody who loves that stuff, this is about as good as it gets for me. Yeah, I mean, so how are you going to watch this on Sunday? Are you going to, you know, put it on like your 75 inch and just focus on just on the line play? Like, well, that's the nice part is it's an afternoon game. So it's in a really good slot. I can just sit there and really take it all in. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, we might need to like leave you alone in a room for a while when that all 22 <laughs> comes out because. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> This is a children's show. All right. The other thing, I, and I think that you can even go beyond the interior. I think Dedrick Will is going up against Justin Houston. Houston's not the explosive player he used to be, but he's really savvy. He's a guy who knows how to play. It's going to be a good test for a young tackle. Just a lot of stuff that's worth watching. I like watching strength on strength. And the Colts have been a top five run defense this year. They've been able to stop the run without devoting extra bodies to it. That's going to be a huge challenge against this team. And the Bills are second in the NFL and run defense DVOA. So can the Colts stop the run in two high looks like they have for a good chunk of the season? Do they have to bring somebody down because they don't trust their ability to slow this team down even without Nick Chubb? And if they bring somebody else down, can the Browns beat them over the top? It's just you know pretty historic, traditional football stuff. But when you see it executed at a high level, it becomes really exciting. So do you, do you think the the Browns are going to miss Nick Chubb a lot, or are they at a point now where it's more sch- systematic and schematic, and that they'll be okay with Kareem I Hunt as their fine. lead back? I think they'll be fine. I think Nick Chubb is a really he's an excellent athlete. I love watching him play. He's explosive. He's one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL. But we talked about that last week going into the Cowboy game. He wasn't playing at that high of a level 
when you consider how well he's played at other times of his career. I think that he was a little bit uncertain about some of the schematic stuff, what his aiming point should be, and Hunt has been just as good. So if you can drop Hunt in there, and then you saw what the other backs did last week. So I don't miss Hunt Chubb just for those second-level runs, breaking tackles in the secondary, creating home runs. But on a play-to-play basis, I think they're going to be okay. The one other thing I wanted to talk about with this game, I'm curious to kind of tap into your experience here. Phillip Rivers going to Indy, he's played well. He hasn't been great, and I think some of the picks were really, that was the big talking point over the first couple weeks. But play-to-play, he's been really good. He's been Phillip Rivers, smart decisions for the most part, knowing exactly the looks that he's getting, putting the ball in the right places. Part of the reason they brought him in was because he's Phillip Rivers. And he's going to have a presence in the locker room. His personality is magnetic. He's charismatic. Guys are going to look at him and be like, that's a guy I respect. That's just who he is. It's always, always been. When Peyton got to Denver, and I'm not saying Peyton Manning is Phillip Rivers, or that Phillip Rivers is Peyton Manning, you know what I mean? When Peyton got to Denver, what stuff changed? And what kind of impact did you see in the building that people might not have been able to see from the outside? I mean, the simple answer is everything. Like literally everything changed. And there's a little bit of a different situation just because it had been a really long time since the Broncos had had like the man at quarterback. So there weren't really many guys in that building who knew what it was like to play with like a veteran respected quarterback. I mean, even the guys who had been there a long time, you know, Champ Bailey and those guys like you know, it had been a while for them too. I mean, Champ played with there was Jake, the Jake Plummer day. Jake yeah, Plummer, Jake Plummer right? Days, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was who Jake Plummer was not Peyton Manning. I mean, I lo- I love Jake Plummer, but he was not the like all time interesting fun guy. The, great great dude, Jake Plummer. The yeah, one of the best, but he wasn't the like the 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 raising all boats, right? The the whatever that saying is. But so I mean, Peyton's presence when he came in, it was it immediately raised expectation level for everybody. And it was for everything. You know, you you hear that from, you know, the people, the guys who work in the PR office to the the guys in the training room, just the the level of detail and the questions that he asked. Peyton had questions about everything and demanded answers about everything. He, he was that way to his, to his coaches, to, you know, his offensive coaches at that point were, um, were Adam Gase and Mike McCoy. And I've talked to both of those guys a lot about what it was like for them when Peyton came in, because the other thing you have to remember, they went from coaching Tim Tebow to coaching Peyton Manning. I mean, that is as different, like, you know, you could not get any more difference in terms of what you had to do. But, you know, the practice tempo changed, the practice requirements changed, just every little thing in the building changed. And this, you know, I talked to folks in Tampa about this, about Tom Brady coming in, changed everything just in terms of, you know, what you're expected to do, what he's doing. Uh, it it really is, it's transformational to an organization. And, you know, I think Philip Rivers is a little bit different. The situation there is a little bit different in that there are guys who played with Andrew Luck and remember yeah, th- that what part Andrew, of it what Andrew the Luck sea was change like. part of it is different for sure but I just think that a guy coming in and Peyton was getting to run his offense in a lot of yeah. ways so he had that imprint but Rivers is running an offense he's run a lot so I just have to assume that some of the conversations and meetings and some of the details and some of the well you know when we did this in 2015 against so-and-so team yeah. and they did this the backlog of information when you start playing with a quarterback like that is crazy. I mean, you yeah, hear the institutional about knowledge with- that he brings is incredible. And yeah. just the level of intensity in the practice, the way that they practice will change. And I'm sure has changed because look, Philip Rivers doesn't turn that off. 
Like that's who he is. I mean, that when he's mic'd up it. on the sign, like that's how he is in practice. He never misses a snap. He doesn't take practices off. He doesn't take reps off in practice. You know, he is. A, He's a fun a practice player. Of, I've watched a lot of Chargers practices in my day when I was living in LA. And you just watch Rivers during practice, and there is an energy there. It it's infectious. It really does matter. It's something stupid, and it seems silly, but you can notice it when you're there. Yeah, and he's paying attention to everything. I guarantee it. I guarantee you he knows everything that's going on on the defensive side. He knows what's going on in the special teams practices. I mean, one of my favorite Peyton, and, and that's one of the things that Peyton did. He changed everything. He he came up to me in the locker room like a couple months into his first um, his first year. So it was like, you know, October or November 2012. And he like called me over, came up to my lot, you know, when he was at his locker. And he asked me what I was doing at the start of practice. Because, you know, you take note, you have, you have a roster. And yeah. he called me over and he's like, can I see that? What were you doing? And I showed him literally that I had a roster and I was saying like, who was here? And like, oh, the right guard was out today or whatever. And it was like, he literally notices everything. And that That's sort so of stuff is, it's paying off. Rivers in, is in like Indy that right too. Now. Yeah, Rivers is like that too. I mean, he's just one yeah. of those guys, like the details matter. He's one of the smartest players ever. People always say that. I thought that was, I just thought it was interesting kind of a comparison. Uh, watching that game on Sunday with him playing the Bears, my favorite moment was it was off camera. You couldn't see him, but you could see, hear the mic pick up. and He just goes, golly. I was like, oh man, it's so great to have Philip Rivers in my life. I love him so much. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, let's get to our favorite matchup of the week. Sticking with the teams the Bears are playing, I'm going with the Bears offense against the Bucks defense, and I'm doing it for this reason. When Tom Brady got there, like you said, it changed a lot of things. And one of the things that changed in my mind is that people are going to start paying attention to the Bucs now. <laughs> and there are players on that roster. You know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are fantasy stars, and you know who they are. I think people are noticing some of the linemen now. They had three guys, I believe, on the PFF All-Pro team uh, in Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, and Tristan Wirfs all playing great. So I think people are going to notice those guys a little bit more. But defensively, there are some dudes on that side of the ball. Levante David, the game he played, against the Chargers last week. Levante David's been good for like eight years. The first piece I wrote about Devon, Levante David was in 2013 at Grantland. He has never been bad. People just don't notice. He is the best coverage linebacker in the NFL, in my opinion, now that Luke Keekley is out of the league. He is all over the place. I'm excited to watch him on a national spotlight. And just the way that defense plays overall. You know, they are, they're a good defense in the same way that the Colts are a good defense. I believe they're one and two in defensive DVOA through four weeks but they play so different where the Colts are rushing for playing a lot of zone. It's more, we're going to do these things right. We're disciplined. The bucks are all over the place, man. 
They're blitzing on 43.4% of their drop up plays. It's the second highest rate in the league. You know, they are just sending bodies everywhere. There's a chaotic energy to that defense that really I think Todd Bowles has tapped into. So I'm excited to watch this unit on a pretty big stage because I don't think it's a group that a lot of people talk about. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right too. And yeah, we are paying attention to them. We're noticing more. I watched them pretty closely when they played the Broncos here in Denver um, two weeks ago. And I, it, they just made some really smart decisions about the way that they were going to build this team. And, you know, I was telling actually Arian said it, I believe it was after week, was it after week? I think it was actually after week three. It was after that Broncos game where he said, we were going to build this team as we were going to build this defense and we were going to make this one of the best defenses in football. And then we got Tom Brady and that was icing on the cake. And that's a really smart way to build this. And they were going to be a good defense. Whether, yeah, they were going to be a good defense, whether, you know, Jameis Winston was your quarterback or Tom Brady was your quarterback. And you saw that in the moves that they made this offseason, the guys that they decided to pay, the franchise tag that they used on Shaq Barrett, who, you know, at some point a few a few months ago, I think I put him on the list of like we were doing one of our offseason blitzes and looking at one hit wonders. And I kind of put him on one hit wonder alert. And he's not. He's not going to be a one hit wonder. He's like a legitimately elite pass rusher. And the Bucks made the right decision to make sure that he didn't go anywhere. And, you know, I just I respect the hell out of the way that they've built. They've drafted well on defense. And um, it's gonna make Tom Brady's life really easy. And then he can have these games where he throws five touchdowns and, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm interested in watching, watching them too. And that's going to be a really fun matchup. I think on Sunday, one of the things that's jumped out is that their secondary, they figured it out for years. That was one of the black holes in the NFL. You know, some teams just can't find guys at certain positions like the Falcons, the jets have never had an edge rusher since John Abraham left. They just have, they don't have one. They've, and it's some teams, they're just a blind spot there. With my team, it happens to be the goddamn quarterback, <laughs> which is a little bit more serious than others. But with the Bucks, they were just throwing dice roll after dice roll at safeties and corners, and it was never working out. Throughout the entire Jason Light era, they could just never get it. And now they do. Jamel Dean is a good player. Carlton Davis has turned into one of the best young corners in the league. Jenna Lane from ESPN tweeted today, he's allowing .6 yards per coverage snap this year, which is the second lowest mark in the league among boundary cornerbacks. And Antoine Whitfield Jr. was one of my favorite players in the draft. And he's just another one of those chaos creators, just really making shit happen. And that's this group is entirely made up of those guys. The one thing I thought was interesting about their defensive front, looking at some of the numbers, you know, they're blitzing a ton, but their pressure rate isn't very good. And if you watch them, you can see that. You know, the one-on-ones they were winning last year, especially Shaq Barrett and then JPP every once in a while, where they're taking advantage of offensive lines and really getting after people, that hasn't been there this year. You know, they've really relied on that extra pressure and not on their front four, which again is very different than what the Colts presented to the Bears last year, that last week. So that's just something to keep an eye on. But yeah, that Bucks defense overall, fun group and an important group when you consider just kind of the overall makeup of this season. Lindsay, the other one we wanted to get to here, we have not talked much about Joe Burrow on this show. And they are playing the Ravens this week. What has just kind of jumped out to you so far about watching Joe Burrow play in the NFL? Well, one, he's just good. I mean, yeah, there was he, no... That's exactly I mean, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's no question. We're not having to have this debate of, is he ready? Did he have to play too early? Like, can he handle this? Like, he can handle this. And the Bengals aren't necessarily helping him out. I mean, he's been sacked 15 times, second most in the NFL, only one fewer sack than Deshaun Watson at this point. But none of this is too big for him. And this is going to be a really fun 
telling matchup, I think, about where he is and his development and just kind of where the Bengals are at when they play the Ravens this week because we know they're going to bring a lot of pressure. You know, they the, the Ravens sacked Deshaun Watson four times in week two. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be tough. It's he's going to get hit. He's got probably going to get hit a lot. But what we keep seeing is that he's he's willing to stand in the pocket. He's willing to step up in the pocket. He's willing to take these big hits and still is trying. You know, he's not captain check down either. I mean, he's been really efficient, but he's, you know, he's still throwing a lot in that like 10 to 20 yard range. Um, their deep game hasn't really been working, but they're at least trying it. You know, he's not just he's a lot not of playing deep incompletions to AJ Green. A lot of them. He's in the top five in the NFL in air yards and the ball is not getting caught. So well, that's, that's been a huge problem for them. And I think that might say more about AJ Green than anything Yeah, I was else. gonna say the AJ Green discussion is a whole separate It's sad. Is, I'm is not ready to have it yet. I don't want to have it yet. That that is I need to emotionally prepare myself for the AJ Green is washed chat because that's not something I want to face in this world. Well, I had I, like four questions of that in my live chat on Monday morning after oh, Sunday's great. game. So the B- Bengals fans are there already. They're having that conversation. <laughs> because they have a quarterback and they want to see it work out. So I, I, it, it's so funny that you say he's just good because that was my exact same thought. I went back and I watched the Jacksonville game this morning and just watching him play, it's hard not to smile. You just watch him. It's like, oh man, that guy's going to be good. He's just an NFL quarterback. And you know that may seem like a low bar to clear, but there's so many of these guys that come in early and they don't look good. You know, they have flashes, but they don't do stuff consistently that you want to see NFL quarterbacks do. And that's what Joe Burrow is doing. I think he's you know, 22nd in drop in EPA per or EPA per play on dropbacks. He's just an NFL quarterback. He's not great, but he's not somebody that you're worried about either. And that is a huge win for the Bengals. I can't even imagine the smile that Zach Taylor has to have on his face coming into work every single day. Just having that guy and knowing that you have that guy is just such a calming factor. And he's just been everything they want him to be. There was a play he made in the Jacksonville game. I want to say it was in the second quarter. They were on their own 10-yard line. And it was just a four-man rush. And the defensive end crashed down. And he just drifted to his left, didn't even notice him, kept his eyes downfield, and just hit T. Higgins for a 15-yard game. And again, that might seem like it's pretty casual and something you'd expect an NFL quarterback to do. But just how calmly and deftly he's navigating the position early in his career without a very good offensive line and with a group of weapons that definitely has question marks, it's just really cool that he's already kind of established. It's like, all right, Joe Burrow is just an NFL quarterback. He's going to be there for a long time. This is an unbelievable win for the Cincinnati Bengals. And it does make me, I mean, this is a, a completely probably separate conversation too, but just about the way that we evaluate quarterbacks and, you know, at what point in their development do we know that they're good? You know, two years ago, going into the 2019 college football season, he was what, like a fourth or fifth round draft pick and just how Maybe guys less than that. Maybe yes. less than that, right? I mean, and that's that's just wild. And then you see, you know, you're going to talk about Dwayne Haskins. I know you and Rhiannon are going to talk a lot about Dwayne Haskins, but the fact that Burrow and Haskins are contemporaries came out of the same college program at the same time. Uh, you know, he was Haskins was the reasons that Burrow transferred, you know, there's just a lot of really interesting dynamics there too, about, you know, development and evaluation and, you know, some guys just have it and Burrow really, really clearly has it. It's fun that they've kind of let him do a lot of the pass protection with his mind with the amount of empty that they've used the same way they used to do it at LSU. That's going to be a real test this week against Baltimore. They're blitzing at 55% of opponent snaps this year, which is crazy. That is just a wild YOLO way to live when you're thinking about how you build a defense. And that's a huge test for him. 
This is going to be one of those, where are your hots? How do you get rid of the ball? The, the Ravens stress you as a quarterback. They make you play the position between the ears. And we've seen that guys that do that well, like Patrick Mahomes, can slice and dice you. And we'll see what Joe Burrow can do. I don't anticipate those sort of results, but I think it's a really interesting, fun test just to see kind of where he's at at that point with his development. Well, yeah, and like he's like I was saying, he's he's at his best kind of in that intermediate range of the field. And that's also where the Ravens defense is really good and they make it really difficult on you. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is really good. He went six for six, according to next next gen stats on those on those intermediate throws. But the other quarterbacks they faced this year, Baker Mayfield, uh, Deshaun Watson and um, last week, Dwayne Haskins had really, really, really struggled in those areas. So. I, I'm inclined to think that it's going to be a little bit tougher day on Burrow than probably more in line with what what Baker and Deshaun kind of had to deal with and what we saw out of Mahomes. But, you know, I, I'm just it's going to be a fun challenge for him. And I just hope that he doesn't get hit too many times because I hope he doesn't he, get hurt and it could be a disaster, yeah. but it, I want to watch it. I just kind of want to see where he's at because, again, I think it's just a really good test and going to be a really telling test at this point in his career. All right. Let's get to. In our minds, who has the most at stake this week? Lindsay, why don't we start with you? Who has the most at stake in the NFL going into week five? Sure. Well, I don't want to go too – we don't have to go too, too deep on this because we hit on this guy a couple weeks ago. But Dan Quinn with the Atlanta Falcons, this could be a make or break week for him where, you know, we kind of – as soon as they lost Monday night in Green Bay, you kind of held your breath and you said, was that it? They're 0-4 now. Is this the week that Dan Quinn gets fired? He made it through this week. But the – feeling in Atlanta and talking to people in Atlanta that are around that Falcons team is that this really is a tenuous situation and it could literally be a week to week type of deal where every week Dan Quinn is really coaching for his job and they're playing against Carolina this week and two weeks ago we would have said sure you know the the Panthers you know completely rebuilding don't have Christian McCaffrey but now they actually look like they've found something and Teddy Bridgewater is playing pretty well um I'm sure his EPA right now is just kind of nuts. I think he didn't he have the most EPA on his scrambles last week. Well, yeah, he so he was number one in EPA last week among quarterbacks, is, but it was, a ton of it was from his which is game. which is kind of wild. But you know, this is not a pushover game, and if the Falcons lose this game, that really says a lot about where they're at and especially where they stand in the NFC South. Which you know, we just talked a lot about the Panthers, and we ha- or we just talked a lot about the Bucks. Excuse me, we haven't even talked about the Saints this week. They seem to have figured something out a little bit last week, albeit against the Lions. But if the Falcons lose this game to the Panthers, they're, they're clearly the bottom team in that division. And that might be when uh, when Arthur Blank makes a change. So Dan Quinn, firmly on the hot seat. We've already seen one coaching change get made right now, so he wouldn't be the first. It is still early. Like the first week in October is still early for coaching changes, but we've already seen one. And you know, if they're clearly continuing to spiral the wrong direction and things aren't getting any better. Um, yeah, it's, 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 this is a big, really big, tough week for Dan Quinn. The Falcons are winless headed into week five. They're playing the Panthers. You'd think, oh, this is the get off the Schneid game. You know, they're playing a Panthers team that's just not there, especially on defense. They're going to go nuts. You know, it's going to be a big Julio game, big Calvin Ridley game. They're going to score a ton of points. We're going to quiet everything now. Julio and Calvin Ridley are hurt. The Falcons offense is kind of a mess. Their injury report is like 10 pages long. And the Panthers are playing much better than I thought they were going to. With a team in the Panthers situation coming into this season, as a rebuilding team where you're really tearing it down starting over, you're giving Matt Rule a six-year contract, 
What you want to see is our guys playing hard. Our guys playing hard are the guys that we brought in and they're our guys. Are they starting to develop? And I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing flashes from Derek Brown. You're seeing fra- flashes from Yutor Gross Matos. You're seeing flashes from Jeremy Chin. Robbie Anderson's been a really nice part of their offense. The guys that they wanted as part of this plan have started to flash a little bit, and they're playing okay. So what they did against the Cardinals really impressed me, and this is not a walkover game for Atlanta. So if you lose this game to Carolina, I think you're right. I think we may see changes, and we may see the end of the Dan Quinn era in Atlanta, and which is crazy considering the heights that we saw from it at certain points, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I also wouldn't be surprised if this Panthers team gives the Falcons a run, which I definitely would not have said three weeks ago. All right. So who's your stakeholder? I'm going with Justin Herbert, which might seem surprising, but here's the reason I think he has a lot at stake. If he plays really well against the saints or, or pretty well, if he clears a certain bar, After the way he played against Tampa last week, for all that Anthony Lynn has said about Tyrod Taylor getting that job back when he's healthy, at a certain point, you're not going to be able to take Justin Herbert off the field if he's playing well. Now, there's going to be those back-breaking choices that he's, like last week against the Bucs with that interception. That's going to happen. He's a rookie quarterback. But the flashes have been so spectacular so far that if you get one, two, three more of those, it feels like that's his job now. So if he plays well against the Saints in a national spotlight against a very good team, it just feels like he's going to be the Chargers starting quarterback moving forward. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I think as we talk about, you know, that Justin Herbert has kind of a lot at stake this week. I think Anthony Lynn does too, because that's going to be a really difficult decision for him personally, I think to make, even though football wise, it might be pretty clear. And I've got, I just feel bad for Tyrod Taylor. I just... Like it's one of those things. I, I I was always a Tyrod Taylor guy. I I think I in Buffalo I feel like he got a really bad rap. I thought he played well for them. I thought he did enough stuff to kind of keep that offense on the tracks. And in Cleveland, it was always going to be you take the job to lose the job. And here, you know, figured it when Philip Rivers moves on, is he going to get a real shot? And then they draft Herbert, so you know it's not a real real shot. But they did seem committed to having him be the starter at least this season. But even as somebody who wants the best for Tyrod Taylor, and I've always thought he was a pretty decent quarterback, at a certain point, you cannot argue with the results that you're getting from Justin Herbert. The only argument for keeping Justin Herbert off the field or keeping any young quarterback off the field is would that quarterback stunt his own development or the development of the other guys you have on your roster? We're going to touch on that with Rhiannon here in a minute. If the answer to both of those questions is no, then there's no reason to keep him off the field. And with Herbert, he's not only answering those questions, he's going beyond that. So for as much as we want to support Tyrod Taylor and how much this sucks for him, at a certain point, the right move is to keep Justin Herbert in the game. Yeah, and I honestly, I, I think that we already know the answer to that. Like, I, think I think so he, too. Even if he has a rough game, you know, even if he get, throws a couple picks against the Saints, and, and who knows, that game could get completely disrupted too. They might play that game in Indianapolis on Monday night because of the hurricane that's coming. Um, That's one of the things that they're talking about is that that game would be at the um, Lucas Oil Field instead of at the Superdome. I think even if he doesn't have a great game, that he still has done enough. I mean, I could watch some of those throws that he made against the Bucs and the way that he just really kind of hung in there. I mean, I know it's not quarterback, quarterback, duel, whatever, but the way that he was not scared 
going up against Tom Brady when Tom Brady was playing out of his freaking mind last week, just a few of those throws that he made, he unquestionably has it. And I think a lot of us weren't super excited about that draft pick about the Chargers decision to take him and people that know a lot more about quarterback play than me did not like Justin Herbert. Yeah, I'm really curious why. I mean, it, that's going to be a fun, like, deep dive, like, rehash of what the I'm not going to name names. There were dudes that just said flat out he can't play. And, and, and people I respect that wouldn't say that without actually watching it and making an evaluation. And I, when I'm watching college quarterbacks, I would never pretend to know who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. Yeah. It's you're throwing darts. I am not a professional quarterback evaluator, but people that are and have, even if they're not professionals, they're not in NFL staffs, they know the, the position better than I do. And just the way he played at Oregon, missing throws and some of the stuff that happened. But I think Nate made a great point on the Sunday show. Some guys are not built for the college game and they have the tools to play in the NFL. And he was just better suited to play in the NFL. That's certainly possible. And through four games of his career, it seems like that's where we are. Yeah, and all that stuff about his demeanor, I know we talked about it on our AFC West pod and heading into week one, hasn't mattered, right? I mean, people, we didn't hear him say a single word on hard knocks, and now all of a sudden I'm hearing him talk in his post-game press conferences, and it's like, great, cool, like you, seems like a good kid. But if you're not an outward leader, I think this is an interesting discussion. You don't have to, if you're not a, just a great leader, right? And that's fine, but just don't be an asshole. I, yeah. What Devin Hester was saying about Jay Cutler on... Uh, on Untold Stories on Bleacher Report a couple weeks ago, how he just wouldn't talk to anybody. He'd have one or two guys, and people didn't like him. Everything I've ever heard about Justin Herbert, I talked to a GM who just knew him and kind of had you know, not spent time with him, but really had done his homework on him. And he was just talking about how good of a guy he was. And just he, it really comes across when you're just having a, a conversation with him. He's just a good guy. He's a thoughtful person. He's just somebody you want to like. And if that's the case, I don't care if he's not some rah-rah guy on the sideline. If he's a dude that you can connect with and you want to play with and you want to be around, it doesn't matter that he's not the most boisterous person in the world. So that stuff never bothered me. And it seems like everything else that was bothering other people about his evaluation shouldn't have been. All right, Lindsay, before you get out of here, what is your one big question that you want answered after this weekend? Well, the big one is COVID related, but like sure. we started <laughs> off on such like a Debbie Downer serious note. And I think by at some point this weekend, we're going to know at least what the calendar looks like. So I'm going to cheer up a little bit here. Um, <laughs> last weekend and actually this entire season has been fun as hell because offenses are scoring. It's great. Like at ridiculous historic rates. So I want to see I want to know if this is going to keep up and I want to know if these offenses that we haven't considered to be, you know, fireworks type of offenses are going to continue to score 30 something points a game. I mean, at one point last weekend, there were 10 teams that had scored more than 30 points. Granted a couple of those teams lost like the Cowboys did, but it's just been really fun and I want to see if this um, I think that's this, even funny. The fact that you're scoring 30 points and losing and that's on the table right now in this version of the league. Yeah, it's it's wild. And it, it says a lot about, I think, where NFL defenses are at right now, where the rules are at. I mean, there's there's been a lot of rule enforcement that is um, greatly affecting the offenses or impacting offenses right now in terms of you offensive mean no holding offensive calls. holding and tons of pass interference. Yeah. So some of some of that is a little skewed. And this is about the time of the year where you where officiating will make that adjustment where they kind of will do their quarter, you know, quarter part of the year review and they figure out what their point of emphasis are. So maybe that comes back down to earth a little bit, but from just a, a pure, like, I want to sit here and watch red zone 
And I don't know how like Andrew Siciliano and Scott Hansen are keeping up in those early games because there are literally touchdowns like every two minutes going on right now. So that's what I'm going to watch for this week is kind of if this offensive explosion continues, if it continues for, you know, not just for the Chiefs and, the, and those teams that typically score a lot of points. Um, and then the other big question I have is, how's Joe Flacco going to play for the Jets? And are they going to have any shot, any better shot with Joe Flacco than they did with Sam Darnold? I just love that of all the crazy stuff that's happened over the past 24 hours, Joe Flacco will start for the Jets is definitely up there. I mean, it's amazing. I did not remember that he was on the Jets. Oh, I didn't until I saw him that six foot seven Joe Flacco trotting out into the huddle the other night when Sam Darnold was getting his shoulder looked at and I cackled. I was at my in-laws house and I laughed so hard. They had no idea what I was laughing about, but I was watching it on my phone and they're like, what is going on? I'm like, Joe Flacco's on the Jets. And um, I just, it was just really, really fun. And um, it's the only thing that'll make I'm not going to really watch that game necessarily, but I'll I'll peek in on it to see how he's playing. How much money do you think Joe Flacco has made playing football? Oh, um, how old is he? What year is this for him? Year 10? Year I 13. Has he made... Joe Flacco is 35 years old. Has he made $150 million? $167 million. Why in God's name... Did Joe Flacco decide he wanted to go play with Adam Gase for a year if he's made $167 million? He's made some terrible investments if he thinks this was necessary. And now he has to, maybe he just thought he wouldn't actually have to play and he would just be able to take like. Even just being around that team for an entire year. I'm assuming yeah. he's living in New Jersey and just moving your family. I, I, so many questions that I have right now about the choice. Our, that our Joe producer Flacco Marissa is, making. is really offended <laughs> that you just took a shot at New Jersey right now. I'm just saying, I'm sure New Jersey is fine, but you got to move up there. It just, I don't know. It, it just feels like it's probably not worth it. Just go back to your the home you probably have in Maryland, Joe Flacco. Go be with your family. Football was good to you. There's no reason to do this to yourself, but good for Joe Flacco, I guess. All right, my biggest question here. Can the Dallas Cowboys just show me they give a shit? That's all I need. It's it's such it's so little to ask of an NFL team. Watching that game last week, it was pretty obvious in real time. And then going back and just watching some of the clips that people have been posting. I haven't gone back and watched all 22 of that game because I don't want to do that to myself. But people with a lot more time and just a lot more hardened energy have. Darius Butler, who does an excellent job on Twitter, is a longtime corner with the Colts and the Patriots. He was putting up a clip of, Darian Thompson, I believe, and uh, Trayvon Diggs filling against the run where the Browns are really trying to take advantage of them. And they just had no interest. And that's all I want to see. If you think the defense is a little bit too complex and maybe there are some schematic things that aren't working, that's fine. If you have no interest in stopping people, that's an entirely different question. As I, I tweeted this today, the Cowboys are still in the driver's seat in the NFC East if they want to be. So that's all I'm asking. Can you just show me that you give a shit? And if you can... Can you get your season kind of back on track? That's it. I feel like that's not a lot to ask, right? I mean, they've been called out all over the place. Yes. Television, Twitter, podcasts, I'm sure. I mean, I just hope they're being called out like that in their meeting rooms, right? That this, that these were really hard film sessions that they were having um, whenever they were back in the star on Monday. I hope Mike McCarthy, I hate, I hope Mike Nolan are having <laughs> these same the conversations. I has a name. <laughs> the star. 
the star. <laughs> it's pretty spectacular. It. Uh, I love it. I mean, the Broncos call it Dove Valley, right? Like some places. Kind, have yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's. I guess it's not that crazy, but it's hilarious that the Cowboys are branded. It all is. And their brand right now is terrible football. All right, Lindsay, thank you very much. Always good to talk to you. We will talk to you next week after what I'm sure is going to be a wild week of news. Yeah. Or, you know, we might have another emergency COVID podcast. Sure. I'll, maybe I'll talk to you tomorrow. Wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all. All right. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you. Bye. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. And joining us now is Rhiannon Walker, who covers the Washington football team for The Athletic, something I'm still getting used to saying, but I think I'm getting much better at it. Rhiannon, I, I think we had to do this after the news that came out this morning. You and I were talking. We're maybe going to have you on next week, but it just felt like it was such a big move by this team to bench Dwayne Haskins that I had to talk about it while it was still fresh. So looking at it, I, what, I rewatched the game today, and it seemed like he played pretty okay against Baltimore. The timing to me seems surprising. So in your mind, why did they do this right now? So for people who have not paid, like they don't pay attention to the team on a regular basis, it feels very weird, especially when you couple it with the fact that Ron Rivera has said consistently, this is about patience. This year is all about seeing what we have moving forward. The offense isn't where we want it to be, and it really won't be where we want it to be until 2021. But what factored into this decision was the fact that the NFC East is a dumpster fire. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> and right now, I, I don't feel like I need to sugarcoat it. They're terrible. Like, it's all bad. You're probably being nice, things. honestly. There are different terms you could use. I feel like might be even more ap appropriate here. But that's okay. Dumpster fire is correct. There is another term that I could use, but I think it'd actually be worse. So I think, you know, cluster and we'll just leave it there. <laughs> but either... <laughs> Well, they're bad. It's just that right now the team is at one and three. They're tied with the Dallas Cowboys for second in the division and the Eagles by barely eking out a win versus the San Francisco 49ers at one, two and one. Very exciting stuff is currently leading the division a half a game ahead of the Washington football team, which beat them in week one. So Ron Rivera sitting there looking at it like, wait, 
this reminds me of 2014 when the Carolina Panthers won the division at seven and nine and the NFC South was just looking like all types of a mess. So instead of sitting there waiting to see, waiting to see, waiting to see, they've had a quarter of the season to play. Yes, Dwayne Haskins did play better in the game against the Baltimore Ravens. He didn't have a throwing touchdown. He had a running touchdown, but he didn't pass Ron Rivera's quiz when it came to throwing a pass into the end zone on a fourth and goal in which you need to at least give somebody an opportunity to do so. The offense still wasn't moving the ball as well as they would like to have moved it. I know he has the 314 yards, but a lot of that came in the second half when they're trying to recover from their deficit. And so this was a situation where, okay, they're one and three right now. They face the New York Giants twice. They have the Dallas Cowboys and they're about to play the Los Angeles Rams. That's four conference games and three in the division. So if they have any chance or any semblance of possibly making any kind of a push, even with a lower record, this is the time to do so. Kyle Allen has three years inside the system. He obviously started out five and one in his first first six career starts when he played, including one win down in New Orleans as well, too. Um, and this is something where they felt like they have to give guys a chance. Ron Rivera says that one of the things we don't see on the sideline is the frustration from the other players. But he did tip us off to that against the Cleveland Browns when he said, I feel like players deserve better. And I feel like there were other players that went out there and they did enough for us to win the game. And Dwayne Haskins with his three interceptions and his lost fumble, he really hurt the chances of doing so. So that's why the timing is what it is. Um, you give Kyle Allen a full week to have time with the ones and run with them. He understands the system. Alex Smith being the backup is because he also understands the system better than Dwayne Haskins. And he is, you know, if he's healthy, he's the best quarterback they have on the roster. Um, and Dwayne Haskins is going to be inactive. And it's not to say that he won't get back out there. It's just to say that right now you didn't have the offseason to prepare as well as we could have possibly prepared you. There was no competition. There was no preseason. And Ron Rivera even said, I know it's unfair. I know it's unfortunate. And I've been in his position. I hope he understands why we're doing what we're doing. And it's not to say that you won't get back out there. It's just simply to say this is a step back so that you can watch and learn a little bit more on the sideline. So the NFC East part which seems to be the company line as they've been putting it out today. Everything that Ron Rivera said, you know, I'd be it's stupid not to try to win this, I believe, with, with the terms that he used. He why, did, does, yes. why does that matter? Why does going 6-10 and 10 and winning, winning the NFC East matter? Is it worth essentially giving up on a guy that was drafted 15th overall last year to win a terrible division and get blown out in the wild card round? That's he my in, a- instant reaction. He said this is a short-term thing. So this is, and this is something Scott Turner said. He's like, you know, Kyle Allen took a step back and he took mental reps. That's something that Ron Rivera has talked about a lot is like seeing things and how they're playing out and what you would do in those sets of situations. And so they're not saying that Dwayne Haskins won't get back out there. Matter of fact, Ron Rivera said consistently, he has an NFL arm. That is a big, big thing there for them is that he is somebody who they believe they can mold and that they can work with, but they believe that it's going to take more time for him to get there. He continues to talk about 5,000 reps. That's something that he believes that every starting quarterback needs to get in order to really start to see what they can do and what they cannot do. He's just, And as I also said, the offense isn't where they believe the team can be. If Kyle Allen succeeds with the same parts, then okay, clearly it was Dwayne Haskins. But if he still has the same struggles, then you say, okay, look, we said it was going to take a year. We now see it's going to take a year. Why do they want to win the NFC East division at six and 10 or seven and nine, whatever the case may be? Because there are guys on the team that are tired of losing. That is the short and simple answer. The team was three and 13 last year, and they have a lot of, you know, they always talk about how Washington is the Alabama of the North. Well, guys go down to Alabama to win. That is the legit thing. They go to be coached by a guy like Nick Saban, who they know is probably going to put them in a position to play in a college football championship. At least the playoffs is the expectation. You have a lot of guys from Ohio State who are used to winning as well. So, you, hell, you have a lot of guys on that team who are just used to winning. This perpetual losing, this stench of not caring, 
there are players there that are so used to winning that over the last two years when I watched them, they just got okay with this company line of losing. You know, they started out 16-3 in 2018. They didn't win but one game the last seven games that they played. They went 3-13 and last year. And now those players that had been so hard, excuse me, so hard-pressed two in game suddenly got so beaten down by the losing culture and with this team now they feel like they have a coach and a staff that can put them in the best position to win they want to take advantage of that the offense for all the struggles they've had the defense is actually a top 10 defense right now a lot of people don't know that and that's why they want to try to go for it right now because i know the cowboys are a more talented team if they figure it out i think the eagles are probably a more talented team too if you know carson Wentz gets himself together at some point in time but for right now where things currently stand they haven't. They've been in all the games they've played, maybe save for the Baltimore Ravens game, and so they're going to take a shot at it. I think the for the rest of the players and for the health of the rest of the players, both mentally and just going forward, that makes sense to me. I think that's actually a long-term play because you're sitting there with a young team and you're trying to send a message to that young team and also beyond the kind of psychological aspects of it, you're trying to evaluate a young team. If they think it's a better chance to evaluate Terry McLaurin and Steven Sims and Logan Thomas and Antonio Gibson by saying, this is a guy who can keep the train on the tracks and do what we want to do offensively, that's a totally rational argument. I think that we've seen that happen other places where you need a guy who knows exactly how to run the offense as the version of it you want to run. And if that's right. the argument, I completely understand. So going to the Haskins timeline here in his future, if right. you compare him to some of the other quarterbacks in the NFL, the young guys that were even in his draft class. He's been as good or better than Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones has been this year. The, Correct. The main difference between him and a guy like Daniel Jones is that the GM, the coach, everything else is different. With Darnold, there are no excuses. He's on the exact same timeline as Darnold. The entire regime has changed. So where does Dwayne Haskins sit now? You have a front office that didn't pick you, that doesn't have an investment in you, they pull you four games into this season. If it's a little better with Allen, they probably stick with him. Is this a situation where they look to trade him, see what they can get for him? Or is his time in Washington going to keep kind of going on here as they figure out what they want to do in the future? I think it's a little early to see if they'll try to trade him at this point in time. I don't think that this is an Arizona Cardinals type situation. I don't even think that this is a Miami Dolphins situation like how they handled Josh Rosen, to be frank with you. Um, so I think this is one of those situations where they say, okay, look, what can you do? What can you do with this opportunity? Even today, for instance, I'm sure you saw the picture of him standing there with his arms crossed a little <laughs> bit away from the rest of the quarterback. And so I asked Ron, I was like, do you think that that's a bit of a ding? Like humanly, you understand he's upset, but as somebody who wants to be the franchise quarterback, you have to understand that when you do that kind of stuff, that cr creates another talking point. But Ron said, look, I'd be upset if he wasn't upset right now. That would be weird to me if he was not concerned. So I think he's they're still invested in him. They want to see him continue to do the things he needs to do, but he just needs more time. They continue to say that he needs more time. And the fact of the matter is, is that he is in his second He is in his second system. He's in his second year. He's with a new coaching staff that didn't pick him. And he, he had a coaching staff last year that didn't really want to pick him. And so it's more a matter of like, how does he handle it? It's Ron Rivera even said is like, he could come out of this on the other side better for it, or he could come out of this beaten down by it. These are the two options that he currently has. But what can he learn from taking a step back, similar to how Kyle Allen did? What can he learn from being on the sideline, just watching the game being played? What questions will he be asking? How engaged will he be? How much does he participate? Ron Rivera said he was very active in participating in practice when we weren't there to see it. So, I mean, that's something that he spoke to. But I don't think that they're giving up on him just yet. Again, like they've acknowledged that they don't necessarily have the greatest set of weapons. Now, could they have done more of what they, you know, what they've done so far? Yes. Ron Rivera literally said if they were two and two as opposed to one and three, Dwayne Haskins would still be starting for this team right now. And realistically speaking, they should be two and two because they 
his turnovers accounted for 24 points for the Cleveland Browns, 24 of 34 points. So I, I don't think Man. that they're at the point just yet. Saying if we're two and two, he keeps playing. If and the, the fact that we're one and three, he's not playing anymore. That is not. That is way too thin of a margin to give up on a guy that was the fifteenth overall pick last year. Don't you agree? Right. If we're dealing in those sorts of tiny little margins, and that's the difference, it just. I need it to be a total disaster, and a, a, you completely cannot evaluate the other guys on the roster if you're going to pull a guy with. Dwayne Haskins draft pedigree and with the future he was supposed to have. Is that wrong? It just seems no. like they're pulling the plug way too fast. And if the reasons that they're giving me do not clear, just don't pass the sniff test to me. No, I've always been one of those people that says I sit there when I used to watch football, I, I literally sat there. remember watching Aaron Rodgers. They drafted him in the first round and they did not play him for years behind Brett Favre. Now they don't Washington doesn't have a guy like Brett Favre here for Dwayne Haskins to sit behind. That's obvious. Um, or I look at a guy like Steve Young and like how long that they like with the process that he went through basically before he became a starting quarterback in the NFL as well, too. I have always said that it's about patience. I've always said that I think people are way too impatient about the entire thing. They want to compare, they want to compare him to his contemporaries. You know, people are frustrated because they see Kyle or Murray doing exceptional things. They see a Deshaun Watson who's the draft class reform, but they see Patrick Mahomes taking his team to the Super Bowl and AFC championship in back-to-back seasons. And I get it, but I also say, right, but they're in different systems with different people working around them and people that actually wanted them there. That makes a world of difference that I cannot seem to get through people's heads. So yes, I agree that it's too fast. And do I think the margins are slim? Yes, I do. But I also think, and when I graded the team through the first quarter, I said, look, as an offense, you have just Terry McLaurin has the fifth most receiving yards. Antonio Gibson is out here running over guys every single week these last three weeks. And Dwayne Haskins is making repeat mistakes. That's a big no-no for Ron Rivera and the coaching staff. That is one thing. It's like missing Loki. In one game, he missed Logotagonist three different times, which again, it's something that is going to happen through a growing process. But if they're sitting there and they feel like, okay, like, Everything is bad in NFC East. We've had some chances to win not only the Browns game, but also I feel like the Cardinals game is another one they look at and they say he had a fumble that he lost and there was another fumble that they lost as well too that contributed to like 14 points in that game. They're just sitting there saying like, we've had our chances. There have been some misses. There have been some repeat mistakes. It's not a bad thing to say, okay, look, it's not fair how the offseason went. It's not fair that you didn't have as much time as needed to learn this whole thing and to go through all those reps. But right now, for where we are and what we want to do, the best thing we can do is just say, hey, look, we're going to take you out of the game. This is not the end of the road. There may come a time where you're put back in and you may succeed. There is a possibility. There's a strong possibility that that will happen. But for right now, they want to go with the guy in Kyle Allen, who they took, who they you know traded for with the fifth round pick because of this exact situation. They really just want to see like, OK, to your point about evaluating guys, is the issue the guys that we have around him? Or is it possibly that the quarterback play is not where it could be potentially? And you talk about his contemporaries. And I mm-hmm. think his contemporaries are Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones. Guys that oh, were yeah. drafted in the first round that go into absolutely terrible situations, which is exactly mm-hmm. what he did. Dan- mm-hmm. Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold on every single statistical level have been worse than Dwayne Haskins this year. Uh, By far. EP- EPA at pa- passing EPA, they're way lower than he is. Haskins is like mm-hmm. 20th. He watched that game against Baltimore. He missed McLaurin on a deep cross where he should have hit him on. The sack yeah. he took in the red zone was horrendous. But when he's playing, you're like, oh, it's fine. Like the, He's doing some stuff he shouldn't do, but I'm not appalled by what's in front of me. So one thing I, I want to mention, so Quincy Avery, who had, has been on this podcast, he's Dwayne Haskins' quarterback trainer. He has a vested interest in Dwayne's success. But he made a point on Twitter today that I thought was well-founded. 
in that we don't necessarily allow black quarterbacks to be average. You know, they have to be spectacular or we don't give them an opportunity. And I'm not saying that factored into Washington's decision here, but it's a troubling trend when you consider some of the other guys that have been given more time and more opportunities to fail than Dwayne Haskins has been given. And I just, there are so many aspects of this where I just kind of sit back and I'm like, man, I, this guy was set up to fail and he wasn't given enough chances to succeed or fail. And this is where we are. And I just don't understand how winning the NFC East right now or giving the ball to Kyle Allen makes you a better football team three years from now. And in my opinion, that's the type of decisions this franchise should be making. You know what? I'll do you one better. John Thompson, the second actually said that, you know, I don't necessarily want opportunities that other people don't get. It's like, I just want the opportunity to fail like other coaches have. Exactly. That's what black, that's what black coaches always want is like, if I fail, I just don't want to be kicked out. Or, you know, in the case of the Jim Caldwell, like succeed and get kicked out too. And then be blamed for stuff later on. I mean, that is really what we have been talking about. And certainly that's something that has been a big focus point. His Obviously his agent spoke out the other day about the fact that they have a young offensive line, which honestly is not actually that young to be clear, but it could have been more talented. Yes. It could be a more talented offensive line. Are there weapons around him? No, because this, <laughs> this team has drafted four straight defensive linemen, which is a first in NFL history. They have not necessarily put the weapons around anybody to be successful. So, I mean, if anybody succeeds in this offense, it is by miracle at that. So no, I am one of those people that feels like Yes, black quarterbacks oftentimes do get the end of the stick. If they don't succeed to the extent that a Lamar Jackson or a Patrick Mahomes, a Kyler Murray, a Deshaun Watson do immediately, then they don't get those second chances. The fact that Daniel Jones is, I feel like, a worse quarterback. There are mis- like the New York Post is out here making excuses for why Daniel Jones is not being as successful outside of the fact that Daniel Jones is not being a good, is just not playing a Please me, he's not playing well right now at quarterback. Sam Darrell was talking about seeing ghosts, I think it was last year, not recognizing certain things, and he's still starting, and there's not a question about whether he's going to be pulled or not as well, too. I think these two things exist. I don't think that there is – hmm. Hmm. I don't the, – the, the, the thing is, it's like the two things aren't mutually exclusive. On the one hand, I can understand the idea that they want to do this. I guess my thought is that if this is how you feel – if you know that he didn't get the 5,000 reps, if you know that you had the truncated offseason, why not just go with Kyle Allen from the start? I know you say you want to see what you have there, but if the objective is now to win, and I feel like this is something in the Ron Rivera said, like I've been thinking about this before the season, if that's really your thought, like kind of seeing like what will happen those first four games, why not put the guy in at that point in time? Why not let Dwayne Haskins sit back and watch from the very get-go? This would be a lot less painless. And also when you talk about having his back after Cleveland, you talk about being patient, and then literally a week later you're subbing him out. I don't know how Dwayne Haskins' psyche is going to be after all of this is said and done. Because this it's is a the really tough thing to do to a young past. quarterback. It's a really it's, tough thing to do to a young quarterback. And it's you say you get him pulled and maybe he learns. That never happens. And also the reps that he needs, those five thousand reps, he's not getting reps with the ones in practice anymore. This no. is a huge detriment to his overall development. I don't understand if you you want him to succeed and come out on the other side of this, but you're not setting him up to do that. So the one other thing uh, about this that I want to ask you, now that Mm -hmm. Alex Smith is the backup and Dwayne Haskins is the third string quarterback, Mm -hmm. that probably means Alex Smith is healthy enough to play, right? So if Alex Smith is is healthy enough to play, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't Alex Smith be playing? Or do you think Alex Smith will play down the road? Because I just figured they didn't want to put him in the game. But if he's the backup quarterback, it seems like it's possible for him to get in there. Nope. I think Alex Smith is going to get in at some point this season. I mean, they literally, Ron Rivera has said, I think it was like a month or two ago that like, if he was asked, would you feel comfortable putting Alex Smith in the game? And he said, based on what the doctors have told me, yes. And that's really what a lot of this comes down to. It's like crazy. Doctors have cleared him. Yeah, I, 
I can't understand it, but I've always been one of those people that said, look, I don't understand Alex Smith's drive to even get back to this point. I don't understand why you would go through a leg injury like the one he had where you nearly lost your life, possibly had your leg amputated or anything like that, and you'd want to come back to the same game. I don't get it, but I also don't play sports at the level that he plays, and I don't have the same competitive drive that he does either. And so that's an entirely different ballpark. But he wants to be out there? All right, fair enough. So I guess, shoot, at some level, I'm kind of like, well, if you guys want to win, it's like, in, you know, Alex Smith is the best quarterback on your roster, potentially, unless there's some holdup we don't know about. Why not just play him from the jump? I, I, I could ask that question as well, too. If he knows the system and everything else in between us, it's like, okay, well, he's the most established quarterback that you have on your roster. And if he's good enough to go, y'all might as well do that. Add them yet. I was thinking the same thing. I, I mean, if you really Probably want to evaluate not. your guys, and if, that, if that's your argument here, that you need the best quarterback possible to see what the, how the rest of your roster develops, it it's, feels like he might be the guy. But... They've done a lot of things that have confused me in the last week or so, but we're here. So, Rhiannon, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's great to get your insight, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Of course, Robert. Thank you all for having me. I greatly appreciate it. All right, guys. We will be back on Sunday night with me and Nate. Until then, please do me a favor. Subscribe and rate the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We'd really appreciate that. We'll talk to you on Sunday. This was The Athletic Football Show.